beginning a, a new series in these weeks that lead up to Holy Week and lead up to uh, the weekend uh, where we celebrate Resurrection Resurrection Weekend. We would call it Resurrection Sunday. And uh, our series is called uh, Journey to the Cross. And uh, the Lord just put it in my heart that this was what we were to be focused on in these weeks that are ahead. This is a season called Lent, and some of you were raised in uh, a, uh, a background where you observed Lent, and now you know all about that, or at least you have ideas about it. And so we'll talk a little bit about that along the way. Some of you don't, you, you were not raised in a tradition that observed Lent. So we're going to be uh, focused on our own hearts, looking in our own hearts to discover what it is God wants for us in this journey as we are moving toward the cross. So uh, when we talk about the journey to the cross, it really describes uh, a journey uh, that uh, we could look at it from a number of different perspectives. It describes the journey that Jesus made, and we're going to be looking at that, considering uh, very much the progress, the movement of Jesus toward the cross. It also describes a journey that you must travel, and we're going to be talking about that um, this evening and, and this weekend. If you could change the slide over up on the back slide, it will help me um, uh, so that I'll know where we are. Um, the journey of Jesus is a journey of ultimate sacrifice, and we know that. We, we just sang about it. We know that it's, it's this incredible outpouring, this giving uh, of Jesus uh, for us. It's also, uh, for us, the journey of ultimate blessing because it's where we receive uh, our, our grace, our salvation, everything that we're focused on. The question that we could ask is that um, in this journey, the Jesus journey, is where does or where did the journey begin for Jesus? Where did it start? Where did all this uh, uh, begin? If, if we were to go to Jerusalem, one of the things that you would see there is the stations of the cross in the old city of Jerusalem. And the first station of the cross would be the answer that many would point to. They would say, well, this is... This uh, place where the condemnation took place by Pontius Pilate, uh, and, and that starts from that moment on, from, from that condemnation moves toward the cross. That's the beginning of the journey of the cross. Um, but the journey really started before that, and that's what I want to speak to you about tonight and this weekend. Uh, it, we can look to the Garden of Gethsemane. And many view this as the beginning of what we call the Passion of the Christ. Uh, in fact, the famous movie called The Passion of the Christ, it begins in Gethsemane. That's where it starts because there's a, a lot of thought that goes into that as the point where the first drop of blood was shed. Uh, when Jesus was praying and he prayed with such angst that he sweat uh, blood, drops of blood. And so this is the beginning point in that regard. It's where Jesus said, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And so this is a, clearly, I mean, this is a turning point where Jesus was struggling with this, struggling with what was ahead, with the physical pain that was ahead. 
uh, with the incredible burden that would be on him as he was making atonement for the sins of the whole world. And, uh, and so it, it's, it could be viewed as the beginning point of the journey toward the cross. But we also remember that in Gethsemane, he clearly surrendered to the authorities when they came. And so he had known that this was in process for some time. Uh, when the soldiers came for him, uh, you remember that Peter, Peter brought out a sword and he lopped off the ear of, uh, of one of the servants there. And Jesus said, no, 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 Let me, I, I need to put that back on. <laughs> That's not what this is about. Um, and, and in fact, when the soldiers came uh, and they asked, are you Jesus of Nazareth? He said, I am. And then by the power of that word, that, that uh, uh, group of soldiers just fell backwards, fell on their backsides. So... Jesus knew that he was moving toward the cross prior to these very events. So let, let's, let's run the tapes back a little bit to some of the other points during the ministry of Jesus that we could point to as starting points, as moving points of uh, the journey to the cross. So let's back up to the transfiguration. Do you remember this day when uh, Jesus uh, took Peter, James, and John that, that sort of inner three circle, and he took them up on this mountaintop, and he, as he was up there, uh, he was transfigured. He was changed before their eyes. And, and they saw the glory of, of Christ. They saw something that nobody else had ever seen. That the human Jesus was seen now as the glorified Christ, and then the scripture says in Luke 9 that, behold, two men were talking with him. Who were they? They were Moses and Elijah. And this is a big deal. I mean, a meeting with Moses and Elijah is a really big deal. Who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. What, what is that? The, his departure. That's the cross and the resurrection and, and the the things that would happen after that. So they were having they were having a staff meeting to plan out the cross. And this is a pretty high-level staff meeting to, to figure out how is all this going to work. Uh, an agenda was being set. And I would suggest to you that the agenda uh, was planning the journey to the cross, planning it out. But I don't think it started there. Uh, it, it's just roll the tapes back a little bit more. We're gonna, this is kind of a strange message because we're going to keep going backwards. And if we back up a little bit in the story of the Gospels, you may remember that after the healing of a boy with an unclean spirit, it's just a fascinating story. Um, and uh, none of the disciples had been able to help this boy. They had, the man brought his boy, and the boy would throw himself in the fire, and he had all kinds of problems, and he, he was very difficult to, uh, to control, and he was just hurting himself all the time. Uh, and, and they weren't able to do anything. They weren't able to help in any way, the disciples. And so when Jesus came to them, um, he, they, the man says, I, I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. What, what good are they? What good are your disciples? And so Jesus just very simply rebuked the unclean spirit and gave the boy back to his father. What an amazing moment. Here, here's your son. It's okay. And, um, and everybody was astonished when this happened uh, at this, the majesty of God that was on display there. 
But while they all marveled at everything he was doing, Jesus said this to his disciples. And it's interesting that it's way back here. Let these words sink into your ears. I, I don't I don't know. That's pretty powerful when Jesus says, let this sink into your ears. <laughs> and, and he says, uh, the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. He, he's giving this, this projection of where he, I know what's, what's ahead and what's going on. It says that the disciples did not understand. In the next verse, it says that they began arguing among themselves about which one is greatest. And we see this all the way until the upper room, this argument about, I mean, I don't know what this argument was about. Well, you know, if, you, if I had a little more time, I could have cast that demon. I, I could have done that. I could have taken care of that because I'm better than you I'm, and this sort of thing. By the way, it's not a good way to approach uh, battle with the devil when you're arguing among, amongst each other uh, which one is, is the, the greatest. So let's spin the tapes back just a little bit more um, and back up. Um, to a place called Caesarea Philippi. I'm going to talk about that more next week. Um, But Jesus had been telling them, and uh, we hear it at this place called Caesarea Philippi uh, in Matthew chapter 16. Uh, And after some things had gone on there and he had revealed more about himself, he says, uh, from that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must, this is so clear, he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. So it was very, very clear that Jesus knew where this was going. In fact, it says in the, in the passages of Scripture that he set his face toward Jerusalem. He, he was very intentional at this point. So the beginning of, of this journey keep, keeps going back a little bit further and a little bit further. In fact, we could roll the tapes all the way back to some of the baby pictures uh, that are in our gospel. Do you remember we just looked at this a couple of months ago, uh, the blessing of baby Jesus uh, at the temple by Simeon? And Simeon said, my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. He knows that this is the one that we've been waiting for. This is the salvation we've been waiting for. But listen to this blessing. He says, behold, that's a don't miss this. This child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed And listen to this, and a sword will pierce through your own souls as well. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if we were having a baby dedication and we we said a blessing over a baby? And we said, well, you know, what a blessing and this baby is going to be blessed and it's going to lead many, many people. But by the way, a sword is going to pierce your heart and your heart. Wow. But it's very, very clear that all the way back at that time, it's clear and it's being revealed, it's being prophesied that, uh, that this is a journey that's moving toward the cross. Even before Jesus was born, and we talked about this just a couple of months ago, the angel told Mary that she would bear a child who would be the son of the Most High and that he would be given the throne of his father, David. And then the angel revealed to Joseph 
That which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, the only way that you save people from their sins is by the giving, the sacrifice of blood. So even at that point, it's being revealed that this is moving toward a sacrifice, moving toward toward the cross. Well, we could go back further. And we, could, we, we need to go back to the garden, to the Garden of Eden. Because in the Garden of Eden, do you remember the curse that came upon the serpent? The serpent that, that came and tempted them and, and, well, tempted them to fall and they chose to fall. And after that, there's this curse that is pronounced, and, uh, and part of it is upon the ground. It's going to be really hard for you to work. It's going to be hard for you to do things. <clears throat> but then this curse is uttered upon the serpent um, after the fall in uh, Genesis chapter 3. It says, I will put enmity, that means hostility, between you and the woman, between your offspring, your descendants, and hers. And and he's speaking to Satan in this way. He, Jesus, the descendant of Eve, will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So all the way back in the Garden of Eden, we see that the destiny of the Son of Man, the descendant of Eve, was to be struck by Satan but it was also the destiny of the Son of Man to crush the head of Satan. And that is the victory. So the journey of the cross was mapped out. You see, the journey, the journey is a big picture. And that's what we want to see. We want to see the big picture this weekend. And we're going to be looking at some points along the way. The Apostle Paul gives us perhaps the biggest view, the biggest picture Uh, of any point in the whole Bible. It's in Philippians chapter 2. He wrote to the Philippian believers. um, And he he gave to us, this is amazing, and this is our text for the night. I know that's a lot of introduction, but uh, this is is an amazing piece of scripture that talks about the big, big picture. So I invite you to give your focus to God's word, to listen to God's word as we hear what he has to say uh, about this, this big pathway to the cross. Have this mind among you, among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, 
so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now I invite you to stand and let's pray. Father God, we pray for your blessing on this journey, this journey toward the cross, this journey to the place that, that we each must go. And we pray that you would bless us with understanding and insight, but most of all, that you would grip us with the meaning and the power of what you have done for us, with, with the grace that you have poured out for us, that we might know and receive the mercy and the healing and the hope that you have set for us and set before us. In Jesus' name, amen. The journey, speaking in a different way and perspective, began quite simply with equality with God. People debate that, well, was Jesus really God? And I don't see how that's possible. Well, it's one of these mysteries. It's called incarnation. Um, but that's where it starts. Equality with God. Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. The NIV, I like the way that it translates it, uh, that Jesus was in very nature God. It's another understanding of the Greek word. The Greek word is morphe, which means the inner essence of reality. He had the inner essence and reality of God. He was God. And the journey of the cross begins with that clarity that Jesus is equal to God. Uh, the Apostle John, we've been studying him a lot lately, but the Apostle John, in his gospel, put it this way. He began his gospel with these words. I love it because it, go, it goes all the way back. In the beginning, in the beginning was the Word, and Word is, is Word for Jesus. That's who he is. In the beginning was Jesus, the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, not anything that was made. Wow, not anything made that was made. I mean, it's just, it's an incredible, and then in the book of Colossians, it says that all things hold together in him. So Jesus is not uh, just somebody that something accidentally happened to him or he's a tragic story that's been elevated somewhere along the way or we look to him as a martyr. He's not a martyr. He's anything but a martyr. He was God and he made a decision. <clears throat> and his decision, is, the first part of his decision was, was that that Godship was not to be grasped. What does that mean? Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. The word is harpagmos, and it, it, it actually is a word, a form of a word for robbery. You might remember that the King James Version used to say, it's always kind of confusing to me, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal to God. I, I just thought, why, why is the word robbery in there? It means to seize or snatch, to take by force or to cling to. He didn't consider his godness something to hang on to. And, and sometimes, I mean, as humans, we understand that. 
Well, you get in a position, you get, to, you get the corner office or whatever it is, I, I'm going to hang on to that. I'm going to fight for that. People do it all the time these days. They fight to, to hold on to their power, okay? He did not consider his godness something to cling to. He didn't consider with his equality with God the most important thing. In fact, there was something that was bigger and more important than all of that. Wow. You. He did not consider being God more important than coming and saving you and saving me. Someone say, praise God. Wow. This... This is huge, and, and, and it's been said that the greatest expression of Christ's divinity was his ability to turn loose of his divinity for that time and, and do what we see here. The choice was a choice to be emptied. I, I chose that as the title for this message. It's such a strange kind of word. But emptied himself... The Greek word is kinos or kenos. Uh, we get the word, they'll talk about kenosis. It means to make void or to, to make of no effect, to make of no reputation. He emptied himself. And there are a lot of discussions, a lot of writing, a lot of debates on, well, how empty of divinity did he get? He, he went from being supreme in creation this says to being a nobody, entering our human existence as a nobody, uh, and actually to become a disgrace. That, that's what we see in the path. That, not, not a, not a dis, I mean, that, that's hard for me to even say, and yet that's, that's what we see. He emptied himself. Now, now we know, and of course, that he was still divine the whole time. He still had at his uh, power and authority the ability to, um, wow, to do any sort of thing. But he, he entered into this human frail existence as a baby that cries and then grows up and gets hurt and skinned knees and, and more. The scripture says he took the form of a servant by, by taking the form of a servant. Again, it's the word morphe, which means essence. he took the essence and reality of being a servant. This wasn't a, a masquerade. This wasn't a pretend. Uh, this wasn't simply the outer garb or appearance of being a servant. He, was a ser he came to be a servant. Um, and we see it very much, that image there in the upper room, the washing of feet, where he said, you guys don't get it. How did he not get just really mad? <laughs> at certain points, but he, he began to wash the feet of the disciples. But we see it consistently. You know, I've told you that I, I have enjoyed a lot this series that just finished its first uh, season called The Chosen. One of the things I love about it is it does great research and it, and it figures out things. You know, Jesus is moving about and he doesn't seem to have anything that is his possession but where did he stay? And they have him camping outdoors. And children come and he meets them and he, he laughs with them and he carves things for him because that's what he did. Very, very human experiences uh, that are going on as he serves. Everything that he did was to serve. He comes to the end of his life and he doesn't have 
Anything except that literally the clothes on his back. There's not a little pile of stuff for them to gamble over. It's amazing. And Jesus was not empty of power, but he was choosing to express that power as a servant. And we need to, to understand that. This is the journey. And this is the one that we're, we're asked to put before us and have this attitude in us. I don't know if you found it, but many times the most powerful thing that you do is an act of service, an act of humility. And it's not lording over someone or demanding your way. It goes on and it says being born, just being born. We, we talked about that during the Advent season, how just being born. If you're supreme in the universe, to be born in human flesh was a big, big deal. <laughs> Being born in the likeness of men, uh, the Greek word there means uh, in the shape, in the form, resemblance, in the similitude of, of, of humanity. Jesus was still divine, still fully divine, yet his divinity was most manifest in this human vulnerability. Uh, frailty is a little strong, but human vulnerability. I was thinking about this and I thought, that means that when, if, he, if he hit his thumb with a hammer in the carpentry shop, it hurt. And it swelled up and the thumbnail came off. Now, he may have been a, a much better with a hammer than, than, than me, uh, but he had uh, this incredible uh, human experience that he was walking with us. Paul described it in 2 Corinthians 12. He said, my grace, he said to me, the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. We need to understand that by entering into weakness, he was so powerful. Rome couldn't stand it. They did not know what to do with him. He then humbled himself. Boy, that sounds pretty humble. He humbled himself and being found in human form, he humbled himself, uh, anthropos um, schema. It means in the, in the hold of human condition. Th that phrase is so powerful. In, he was in the hold of human condition. He depressed or humiliated himself. He abased himself to come low into this human condition. He had every human vulnerability, every human temptation. He had hunger, exhaustion, Blood, sweat, and tears. In fact, the book of Hebrews tells us, later reflecting on him as high priest, we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. We don't have a high priest that's been off in a palace somewhere, not having to struggle with anything in life, but one who has been tempted in every way, tested in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. It's this powerful walk to the cross so that he, when he arrives there, he is the perfect, complete sacrifice in every way. Becoming obedient, becoming obedient to the point of death. Word obedient, I mean, it's kind of odd. You're the ruler of the universe, and yet you're, you're obedient. But it's an obedience to the Godhead. It means to, to be under, to, submor, to subordinate, to attentively listen and submit. 
And he declared it. John chapter 6 says that Jesus responds and he says, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. I am, I am subordinate, seeking uh, always the guidance of the Godhead of my Father, even to the point of death. And that's literal death. It's a, it's a strong word, thanatos. Um, not a feigned, or it's not the appearance of death, and some have argued that. And then even more, even death on a cross. And, and we, we could just kind of go by that, by that quickly. Sometimes we, we study it, um, but it's a big deal. Death on a cross was literally the most excruciating torture that had been devised in that day. It took a long, long time to die uh, on a cross. It was horrible. It was humiliating. Uh, you know, we don't need to go into all the details, but it stripped naked before everybody and then put on the cross for sometimes several days uh, as, you, as you died of dehydration and then just suffocation. In fact, um, from the cross is where we get the word excruciating. And the, the word cross is in there, cru- cruciating. And so if anybody says, well, I don't like the religious stuff, it's just excruciating to me, you can kind of giggle because they've just used a, a, a term that, that, in other words, the cross is, defines pain at its worst. That's what it, it is. And, and it's the most painful thing, even death on the cross. And it's also the most central thing. We use a term sometimes, we'll say, well, let's get to the crux of the matter. What does that mean? It means let's get to the cross of the matter. Because the cross is the center point. It's the most important thing. It's this huge sacrifice that is about to occur. It's, it's, it's where the journey is going. And so at this center point, we would say, well, yeah, resurrection. This leads to resurrection. But the center point of all history is the cross of Jesus. And that's why we're talking about it in this season. And then we get this wonderful word, this wonderful Bible word, therefore. Say with me, therefore. Therefore is always a turning point word in Scripture. And it leads us to this point of being highly exalted. Therefore, because of all that... That journey, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name because of the journey of Jesus to the cross. He has a new name. He has a new name that's the same as his old name, but now it's new. I mean, some have puzzled over this and thought, is there some other name that we're not, we're going to find out later? There's a new name that we'll get to know later on. Um, but mo- most conclude, no, it's, it's his name, but it now is different. The name of Jesus is different, and the name Lord is different. Same name, but a different power. The name of Jesus is now elevated ab- above every name. Um, in, in Acts 4, it says, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This is the name. And at this name, every knee and every tongue. Now, verse 10, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow 
in heaven and on earth and under the earth. You hear that? It's three levels. Heaven, earth, under the earth. So we want to make sure we understand that. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus Christ is Lord. Lord now has a new name. Jesus Christ is Lord. Uh, Early in his ministries, the disciples mostly called him master or teacher, rabbi. And then some began to come around, and some of them were seeking help or or seeking healing, and they would would say, Lord, Uh, they would call him Lord. There are some times when Lord was used like sir. It was just a very honoring way to speak. But after the resurrection, after the cross and after the resurrection, um, Jesus is consistently referred to as Lord. It's a big deal word. Thomas, when he finally gets the message, says, my Lord and my God. And he doesn't mean sir and God. He doesn't mean that. It, it is a, a word of surrender, absolute surrender. Peter declared it on Pentecost. He said, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. The anointed one, Christ, the anointed one, Lord, the one that we surrender to. This Jesus whom you crucified. It's a very confronting message that he brings. And Paul, Paul made it clear to the Roman church, it's very familiar to us. It's really important. Listen, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, this this name, this word, and and believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is the name by which, the declaration by which we find salvation. So this is the huge thing in the journey. And it is that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. The only questions are when and how. Every knee will bow, every tongue confess in heaven and earth, and under the earth. What does that mean? That, I, scripture tells me, and I can say this with, um, with every strength, you name the most heinous person you can think of, Adolf Hitler, will confess. Me will bow and will confess Jesus Christ as Lord. Is that a point of salvation? Well, we don't even know that. Well, I, I don't know what happened at the end of Adolf Hitler's life. I don't know. But here's what I know. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. No matter what they've done, and even if they have rejected in every way and declared rejection against God in every way, there will be a point of bending the knee and confession before him. So so the question is, you know, the when and the how. Will you surrender to the transforming power of Christ? That is in the cross and the victory of the resurrection in this life. Or will you be humbled at some point later in recognition of all that you missed? That's the question that we're left with here. And we're going to be moving through this in the journey toward the cross. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word, and I thank you for all that we can gain as we, as we study, as we grapple with the big picture. And Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, I'm so grateful that you didn't 
count your godness something to cling on to, but you were willing to turn loose of it to come and get me, to come and get us, to come and rescue us. And so, God, we come in this season to give thanks, but even more, to surrender, to declare you as Lord and Christ in our hearts. Hear hear our words and our, our hearts of confession before you. Hear us as we come and draw near to you to say, God, I need you. I need you and I I want to declare you as Lord and Christ in my life. I want to bend my knee in this life. I want to make that declaration in this life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now we want to, um, of course, bring tithes and offerings, and we can, we've been doing that a great deal online and through uh, the mail, but also uh, out in the lobby, uh, we're going to get ready to worship as we uh, prepare to leave uh, this place.